Blog Talk Radio.
what's going on in our world and the community. What's going on in our world and in our community. Followed by discussing the theme. And to do this, like always, we're going to start this party by bringing in our political panelists and analysts who will give us a brief introduction in terms of who they are. At this point in time, we'd like to bring in Brother Anthony and welcome him to Africa on the Moon. Welcome, Brother Anthony. Hey, thanks for having me, Brother Africa. Uh, revolutionary greetings uh, to the fellow panelists and the listening audience. My name is Anthony Williams. I'm an organizer for the All African People's Revolutionary Party, GC. Our objective is Pan-Africanism, the total liberation and unification of Africa under scientific socialism. Following Brother Anthony, we have Brother Haki. Brother Haki, welcome to Africa on the Moon. Uh, thanks for having me, Brother Africa. My name is Haki Kamafi Mishoki, Colonel African Awareness, and I'm all about institution building. Um, it seems to me that when we look at the standing that pervades the society, the one thing is very clear, that we can anticipate that this insanity will escalate, it won't decrease. And as such, the question becomes, what are we going to do, particularly as an oppressed nationality in the society? Are we going to acquiesce? Are we going to stand up? What are we going to do? But in order to do anything, first and foremost, we have to have knowledge, we need information. So institutions provide the information that we need in terms of, you know, forming you know, uh, important uh, discussion. Uh, also, you know, to deconstruct ideas, uh, to better understand, you know, what's going on in society. So institutions are extremely important, and I encourage people to get busy about the, about the work of creating institutions. And Brother Africa, I'm going to thank you for having me. Thank you, Brother Aki. Finally, Brother Aki, we're bringing Brother Moses. Brother Moses, welcome to Africa on the Moon. Thank you, thank you, thank you, and greetings to everyone within the sound of my voice. My name is Robert Andrew Moses. I've been in the struggle for scientific socialism from the moment I was introduced to Marxism during a government class back in my high school years, 1968. I call Marxism the race to cure racism. I I, I bear witness that there's one God, Jesus, the often finisher of my faith, and that Mao Zedong is his messenger for government. Fathers, help your children. Thank you once again, Brother Africa, for allowing me to be on the show. Thank you, Brother Moses. And panelists, let's get started with this party by just talking a little bit about what's going on in your world in the community. I start off with you, Brother Anthony. What's going on in your world in the community? Well, uh, there seems uh, the, the crisis in capitalism seems to be intensifying. Uh, it seems as if there's there's been a, a lot of political upheaval in France recently, particularly in Paris, over uh, over I think austerity measures that have been taken by uh, the Marconi uh, Macroni government uh, in France, and uh, so it seems as if. Um, you know, as uh, capitalists intensified their struggle to hold on to power, uh, they're coming up against resistance uh, from the masses of working people. Uh, let's see, except, uh, you know, so far, uh, a lot of the upheaval seems to be taking place in Europe and other places outside the U.S., mainly because of the political backwardsness of the working uh, class inside the U.S., 
Okay. Thank you, Brother Abner. Next, we're going to Brother Haki. What's going on in your world and community? Yeah, let me just uh, follow up on what uh, uh, Anthony is saying. Uh, this question in terms of the, the struggles in France. I think it's important that we talk about that because one of the things that the media in the U.S. has been doing is simply been concealing the reality in terms of what those, what those struggles are really all about. We think, based upon news reports in the U.S., we think that it has to do with fuel prices, even though that's a part of it. Clearly, the, uh, the uh, fuel prices has created a lot of hardship for working-class people in France, and so therefore it is an issue of concern in France. There are much bigger issues also taking place in France, which the Western media is not telling us about. And one of those is the whole education reform taking place in, uh, in France. Now, according to the education reform, it's making it difficult for particularly poor, poor kids to attend college. And what is interesting, they talk about in terms of high school curriculum, they actually talk about eliminating science, literature, and social sciences for the curriculum in high schools. And this is based upon the supposedly this is to better prepare the kids for the job market. Now, and that's ironic that you would talk about eliminating science, social science, and literature in terms of as being a pathway, you know, to, to attaining jobs. It doesn't make sense at all. So clearly there's a, there's a real alternative motive in terms of what's really going on. So I think also one of the things we got to keep in mind that like the United States, what happened in France is that <coughs> with these with these cuts come through opportunity to actually stimulate the economy and actually to actually create more jobs. And so that what's happening is is ingenious ways in terms of justifying why people won't have jobs. And so this is what the France, in essence, what they're doing. But fortunately, the people, the, the so-called yellow vest, those individuals in France are well aware of what the game is and showing the discontent by actually coming out in the street. And it's a beautiful thing to see. Also, they're talking about better wages, and that's very, very clear. Because one of the things that when we talk about wages, you know, not only are there the kind of wages happening, you know, in the U.S., but it's happening throughout the West. And this is by and part a function of ensuring that the 1% of the population ensured the overwhelming gains of the economy, which means that increasingly more and more power is being given to the 1%. It's not by, it's not by accident. It's by design. This is precisely what they want. And I think one of the things that also when we, when we talk about what's happening in France, we've got to talk about the role of the liberal democracy. One of the things when we talk about liberal democracy, often people, you know, the ruling class won't tell you what they mean when they talk about liberal democracy. But that's what they're saying. It's that what they're saying that the individual pursuit of wealth is more important than the pursuit of justice or fairness in society. And so, therefore, human beings become a means to an end. So if you can exploit people to make lots and lots of money, that's a good thing. Uh, if the people die... In mass, that's a good thing because that means fewer and fewer people make more and more money. So it's a sort of perverted way in terms of looking at humanity in which, you know, it's all about the individual as opposed to the collective. And understanding that human beings, you know, uh, in order to exist, they have to do it collectively. They don't do it as individual. Individuals simply die off. Collectively, that's how individuals um, thrive. But anyway, this liberal democracy is something that's, that's, that's happening in France as well. And so, it's, and so all of these strikes are reflecting the fact that the people understand that these little democracies are a direct threat to humanity and that they got to stand against it. I'm just hoping that at some point in America that uh, the people begin to get that same message and we can come out and route and begin to organize and do what we have to do in terms of pushing back uh, this, this fascism that's, 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 that's upon us. Uh, thank you, Brother Aki. Brother, Brother Moses, what's going on in your world in the community? Well, I think things have been rather slow here. 
Um, uh, you know, obviously the president is having his problems of this, the various um, uh, cohorts of his now turning face evidence more or less. And uh, so that's very interesting with Cohen and uh, uh, the, the other uh, two, two being investigated. Uh, I'll, I'll, I'll leave it right there. It's not much. I won't have much to say tonight on that. Thank you. Thank you, Brother Honey, and Wagon Sister Hattie. Sister Hattie, uh, introduce yourself, and what's going on in your world and your community? Oh, thank you, Brother Lee. <clears throat> I'm Sister Hattie, and uh, I have a nonprofit, Women United, and we're working on the two projects still, Black Women Wisdom, 80, 90 and up, and... Um, we're also uh, working on putting together some um, relationships and student world. I will call them. They used to call them student exchange programs, foreign student exchange, and I called them world student exchange programs. And one of the things that that we have been working on, I have one um, student now, a guest at my home. And I am so excited about it because there are all these good ideas that we're trying to put together around how do we establish, you know, something that's going to be remarkably for real and have a relationship between at least one African country starting out and then, of course, spreading it all over. Because if we notice, there are a lot of uh, foreign exchange student programs, but they have really gone downhill when it comes to African children. I don't see a lot of them anymore. There used to be some around, but they have just kind of diminished and and just gone away. Um, There was a Russia and U.S. Connect program that they would bring in Russian people, and that's been like probably 15 years ago, maybe 20 years ago, and they would stay with us. I even had three of those at one time. And then there was uh right now there's a big push for um Chinese were you know students coming here to study and and people are kind of garnering up for that. So we got to get our African students uh over here too to study. And I don't I don't believe in the brain drain from Africa. I believe in Okay, you come, you study, you go home, you make this better, and you know you come back and forth and you do what you need to do. And so we're we're really working hard on that. And we actually have our next little student in the pipeline, a little girl. And uh, so now my goal is to find somebody that she can come and stay with and um, be here when it's that time. So we're we're buzzing and moving right along here. So if you know anybody that love to have, and it's gonna have to be national, not it's not gonna be uh, just uh, on on Sister Hattie here, Mother Hattie, or whatever. But it's gonna have to be all of us being willing to allow some of the children to come <clears throat> and room and board with us, and 
help them navigate through this educational system. And I know we're struggling as it is ourselves, but we can't let, what's that guy's name, Lawrence O'Donnell, keep just doing all this stuff for the African children. I think that's his name. And then we don't do anything for him. You know, he's dropping desk over there. I think that's the commentator. Correct me if I'm wrong now, panelists, but um, we have to start doing some things and not just the Oprah's with the one school, but some really big things to try to uh, uh, build relationships and rapport with some of the African children um, so that we can, can have relationships. So simple as that. We're excited about that. And um, that's kind of that. Now, on the world level, this is what I'm wondering, um, panelists and um I, I'm always not so much, it's like what we hear about Paris, well, in France, what's going on there. What I'm really, and I was wondering about earlier today, and I just have not heard anything about Israel. I mean, there's got to be something going on in Israel because the the capital is in um, a new place. Uh, the, is that the right word I'm using? Hey, what would you say? Um, Jerusalem's capital, yes, yes, yeah. The capital, the capital, the capital is there now. There's got to be something going on with that, and everything is so quiet there now. So what's going on with that? I can't believe it's Uh, just being accepted like that. The Palestinians, and but but we don't we're not hearing anything about it, and I'm wondering why. It's like. What's going on there? You have to really dig, dig, dig to find out anything about it right now. So anyway, I just thought I'd throw that out there since we were talking about on the world stage with France, et cetera. So thank you, Brother Lee. Yeah. Okay, Sister uh, Discussions on some of the things that were raised just now in terms of what's going on with people who are in the community. Go ahead, Brother Anthony. You were going to say something in reference to uh, the in reference the capital, to Palestine. Um, huh? And uh, the uh, the reason why we probably, well, at least people in the U.S. aren't hearing much about what's happening in that part of the world, uh, I suspect it's because uh, uh, the U.S. media is controlled by Zionists. And uh, so, but, but uh, you know, where there's suppression, uh, there's uh, there's resistance. One of the le- many lessons I learned from Brother Kwame, and uh, the Palestinians are are, are resisting uh, the, the, that occupation to the best of uh, uh, of their ability. You know, in spite of not having you know the weapons that the Zionists have, and the backing of uh, you know the imperialist system. Uh, but th- there is resistance, there is struggle going on, and as a matter of fact, there was a meeting uh, recently in in uh, in Ireland, uh, you know, calling for the shutdown of all the the NATO bases worldwide. So there is struggle going on, but uh, but but if you rely upon conventional sources of media inside the U.S., you won't hear much about it. Because uh, I don't recall hearing anything about this uh, this anti-NATO conference in the mainstream media at all. What information I have has primarily been been through uh, you know unconventional sources 
over the internet and uh, emails from um, you know certain contacts that have um, you know tried to uh, to participate in that conference. So it is very difficult to get information, and you do have to dig very hard to get it. Just as you have to dig very hard to get any information about what's going on in Africa. Mhm. Yes. Yeah. Well, the um, the thing. Well, recently there was a seventeen-year-old kid that was killed in the Gaza Strip. Also, there was a young sister, a young Palestinian sister, who the Israel was holding uh, under guise that of terrorism. The mere fact that she, supposedly in social media she said something that was antithetical or in opposition to the Zionist regime in Israel, and so therefore she was being held. Uh, but there is some discussions going on in, 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 in the Zionist regime of Israel around the question in terms of just who are we? There are those who take a position, you know, as, as Jews, that what's going on is simply, you know, um, unexplainable. Uh, there's no justification whatsoever for what's going on, and that, in fact, when you look at the treatment of Jews during the era of the Nazis, then how you have the death to turn around and be and do the same thing these Nazis did to Jews. So, therefore, are what we're doing really uh, an expression of who we are as Jews? And so the discussion is taking place. Uh, and also the, the question around corruption, uh, Netanyahu, uh, you know, his uh, wife was um, his wife was um, indicted. Well, at least the, uh, the, the, it was brought up. There was a certain amount of corruption going on in terms of the stealing of money uh, that was that was geared toward, uh, you know, uh, the people, you know, in the, in Israel, and so therefore it's a lot going on in there. And so, but uh, yeah, in terms of not hearing what's going on, you know, there was a newspaper called Haaretz, H A A R E T Z, which is very very good in terms of keeping abreast of what's really going on, you know, in in Israel. And then one of the things I learned when, when uh, back in 9-11, when the first time I gleaned a real interest in 9-11 was the article I read in Herat when they talked about the fact that the, uh, the, prime minister, the prime minister at the time was slated to come to New York for a speech and canceled because, they, because, of, because of knowledge that those buildings would be taken down. So I first learned that from the Herat's newspaper. So they do a very good job in terms of they're very progressive in terms of articulating what's really going on in Israel. So uh, even, but even, even though they're under a great deal of pressure from the Zionist regime and those in power in terms of, uh, you know, um, to, 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 to uh, stop uh, reporting those stories in which of interest to the world. So that's essentially what my understanding of what's going on in Israel. Oh, thank you. Thank you. And if, if, if I can recall, and we need to um, further investigate this, and I think in terms of the question around moving the capital, I think, to, to, to Jerusalem, I don't think all of the nations in the U.N. has recognized it. You only have a few. I think the U.S. is one of the few that have so-called recognized it. So, again, in terms of uh, whether or not if it has been given that kind of credibility by the world, I don't think it has up to this point. So you're still having resistance and battles around this whole question of, you know, where's the um, so-called capital of um, the Zionist State of Israel? So anyway, uh, well, we'll take a look at that further and maybe do some um, have some further discussion and bring in some specialists to um, further educate us along the line of um, what's going on in the region and this whole question of um, Zionism and its impact that it's having on the rest of the world. 
panelists, there's a couple kind of events that I'd like to get y'all to speak to. And the first one, I said, let's not touch it too much, but I'd just like to have a quick response from y'all because we'd like to do something next week, particularly on on this narrative of George Bush being a hero and being a man of humanitarian. What y'all make up this present transition and his um his transition and how it been um uh, been presented? Remember, he was the he was the first director to ever head the CIA to become president. He known more for his CIA yeah. activities. So what's what, what's yeah. up? And there's no no kind of um, response to the outright vicious. Um, lies and deception in terms of who this man really was, when everybody in the world knew who he was and what he did. Yeah, the, um, the media has been very uh, conscientious in terms of ensuring that certain information doesn't get out in terms of who George Bush really was. I mean, not only was the head of the, of the CIA, but also he was partly responsible for the proliferation of drugs into the United States, particularly in the urban areas. Uh, one of the people who participated in the, in the transfer of drugs into the U.S., for the sole purpose of, of going into the, into the to African neighborhoods, was uh, the former uh, leader of Panama. Um, Noriega. Um, Nor, yeah, Nor, Noriega, that's right, Nor, Noriega. Well, not Noriega, not Noriega, Panama. Um, anyway, okay, anyway, I can't remember his name. But anyway, so what happened was that Bush was responsible in terms of when he no longer played ball, when he was no longer interested in distributing drugs, you know, in, in, into the U.S., when the first thing, George Bush organized was a a, a, <clears throat> a meeting of the most powerful people in you know, the intelligence community to formulate a strategy in terms of bombing uh, Panama into oblivion, and they did. And the consequence of which <laughs> meant that 800, eight, over 800,000 people lost their lives as a result of something that was beyond their control, simply because their leader uh, wouldn't play ball in terms of um, in terms of drug trade. Uh, also, keep in mind that George Bush comes from a long line of people who are, who are criminal-minded. His father, Prescott Bush, uh, he, was, he was a big Nazi sympathizer. I mean, he had business connections, banks, uh, financed a lot of the legal activity in terms of what happened to the, the, the gypsies and the Jews in, the, in Nazi Germany. Uh, he made lots and lots of money from that. In fact, one of the things in terms of Auschwitz, they had a situation where um, – uh, they were using uh, those captive individuals, whether they were gypsy or Jewish, they were using them, you know, for uh, to, for labor. And his bank personal finance. And two of the people who were the biggest, uh, who benefited the most from George Bush's father's bank was a guy named uh, Flick and a guy named Thyssen, uh, two German industri- industrialists. Uh, they were very instrumental in funding the Nazis, in particular funding um, um, Hitler. And so, therefore, George Bush probably played a big part in that. And once that was discovered, ironically, uh, the Bush, the Bush, Prescott Bush was protected by government figures um, uh, to ensure that the public doesn't know, in fact, you know, his role that he played in terms of fomenting, you know, the rise of the Nazis. Not only fomenting the rise of the Nazis, but making it possible for them to have huge sums of income to to sell that steel throughout the world uh, for the sole purpose of terms of. Um, uh, making sure that those those pop those 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 uh, profits uh, continue to benefit those who who led the Nazi movement in Germany. Also, one of the things also he owned a huge a huge um, uh, shipping company in which he transported into the U.S. and out of the U.S. on his shipping line Nazis who were you know going between Germany and the U.S. and the shipping lines were responsible for that. And so it's not that like the uh, Roosevelt and Company didn't know that uh, he was doing that. 
They did. Ultimately, they looked at they looked at charges, but decided not to pursue charges because the reality would have been that for them to expose that, then they would expose a lot more in terms of the inner dealings, you know, of the you know the corrupt uh, capitalist state. And so, therefore, they opted not to even talk about what Prescott Bush did. So Prescott Bush um, set an example for his son George Bush, who set an example for his son George George H W Bush in terms of um, you know what what criminality means and how to profit from criminality. So George Bush himself, uh, of course, we all know in terms of his insensitivity, uh, you know, his uh, willingness to bomb, you know, poor people uh, around the world, his willingness you know, to incarcerate uh, American citizens based upon hearsay. So we, we know about that. So clearly this whole this family is, is, is notorious um, for his criminality. So it's nothing new, but the media did a very good job in terms of whitewashing and making people believe that, you know, that this guy was had some character, that he was actually humane, you know, he actually cared about what happened to people in society, and nothing could be further from the truth. Uh, I think one of the things that stands out, and I, I concur with all the points that Brother Haki made, and was that they did, they emphasized that he was in the military, was in the Navy. They kind of like, they, they downplayed his role inside the CIA. And uh, and that and that was probably by design because it probably would have um, would have uh, brought brought into question uh, certain historical truths that, that that the U.S. has been trying to suppress for decades, really since uh, you know going as uh, since nine one one, and uh, so I think uh, so I think that's why so much was white about Bush was whitewashed. I just found it media I just found it interesting to see how the media would create such a narrative as if he as if, you know, people never existed, you know. And like, you know, people don't have minds of their own or knowing particularly his legacy, who have lived to it, who have been affected by it, continue to be affected by his policies and his decisions when he was a CIA director as well as when he was a president of this country. So anyway, I just thought it was interesting. Well, we'll do a special critique of him next let me, week. Let me just, let me just, so let me just follow up on something real quickly. Uh, Brother Anthony was right. It was it was Noriega. For some reason, I'm thinking it was someone else. I'm thinking, uh, I'm thinking of uh, Trujillo out of Dominican Republic for some reason. It was, it was Noriega uh, of Panama. And, uh, of course, ultimately Noriega was brought to, to the U.S. prison where he was given um, prisoner, prisoner of war status, I mean prisoner status. And so he wasn't treated like your ordinary convict. Uh, he was given his own little suite in the prison. He had his visits. He had access to computers and television and stuff like that because they understood that he, he, he did play a huge role in terms of dissemination of drugs, you know, into America, into African communities. And so, therefore, those in positions of power recognized, you know, his contributions to that illicit drug trade. And so, therefore, tried, saw him as a political prison, political prison, not a prisoner of war. So yeah, it was so it was Noriega, and I just want to clarify that that point. I want to thank you for clarifying that, Anthony. You're welcome. And you know, well, one more thing, I, you all. Come on. Yes, go ahead, Sister Andy. Oh, okay. Uh, I think you all are really being nice too, and I think you have to be nice when people die. You have to, you know, you, you can't really <laughs> necessarily put out 
all of the other stuff. So I think that's why they did it too, as well as when you when you when you see who we have now, forty five. What's gonna? What would they say about him in the end when it comes to, to to his, uh, you know, end of, of this this life in this world? You know, will they tell the truth about him? That would be very interesting for me. That would be what I would say. But actually, the Prescott Bush Group investment banker and um, uh, was not. He was not just a Nazi sympathizer. He was actually tied to a bank. I learned this several years back that actually the bank was closed down or something because it, he was really responsible from what I read. Now, maybe it's not the truth, but he was really responsible uh, partially for the rise of Hitler, period. Um and there was actually some, and I can't think of the name of, there was a law or some type of um, legislation that he put through that really gave them authorization to do all of this business with uh, the Nazis. But then, of course, later on, people came back through and, and, and did not want him to do that. But that's how they really got their money from the Nazis. It was the Nazis. You're right. No, you're right. No, you're right. Yeah, you're absolutely correct. I mean, you're right. Um, um, he worked directly with uh, Flick and Thyssen, uh, two German industrialists, in terms of propping up the, uh, the, the the Nazi regime. There's no question about that. That's where he made his money. From, no question about that. Even when the Allies, so-called Allies, bombed uh, Nazi uh, positions, uh, he was actually paid 1.5 million dollars. As a result of that destruction. So the question in terms of his criminality, what he did before was not even an issue. They simply gave him $1.5 million. And everybody recognized where the money came from. And that's how he got his start. So subsequently, he ran for the Senate in Connecticut. He won. And that's where that money comes from. So anybody who knows the history of the Bushes know that history. And so when you look at the behavior of the Bushes, uh, you know, then we understand what that, that sense of privilege, that, that sense of, uh, you know, um, uh, uh, entitlement. We understand where it comes from. It comes from a long line of criminality, which netted a lot of money. So we understand that. But you're absolutely right. Uh, he played a first-hand role, and, and along with Ford and the, the head of GM at the time, I can't remember his name, uh, in terms mm-hmm. of popping up the Nazi regime. So we should be very clear on the role in terms of the, the elite's role in terms of popping up the Nazis. And this is why I think it's important that people understand in society. When we look at that history in terms of propensity, in terms of you know the favor of Nazism, we can understand that these the same ruling class, the same people, the offsprings who exist now, share a similar mindset. So they also come to the belief that you know that uh, you know that what is most important is these liberal democracies, and so therefore they're willing to destroy a large number of people. And so when you talk about something like the National Defense Authorization Act, you're talking about incarcerating a large number of people. Keep in mind, this is just not the idea. You know, that's banded about by individuals. You've got hundreds of tens of thousands of people in society who are very, very powerful who are in lockstep with this idea in terms of incarceration, locked of African people in America, you know, when the time is right. So nobody should make the mistake to think that this, this mindset, this mentality in terms of, you know, um, almost justifying anything is somehow a thing of the past. It's very much with us today, and this is a very real danger that we have faced as a people which is why organizations, which are institutions, are so important 
in terms of preparing yourself for the inevitable. Because this is this is very real stuff. But you're absolutely correct, Sister Hattie. Uh, yes, uh, he played a big role in terms of uplifting and fomenting the spread of Nazism, and in particular supporting uh, Adolf Hitler. Mm-hmm. Could I add something to that, uh, Brother Africa? So back is yours, Thanks. I just want to add to that. Uh, let's see. In terms of, for the sake of, of the historical record, which a lot of uh, Africans may not be familiar with, the first victims of the Nazis, contrary to proper belief, were not the Jews inside Germany. It was actually uh, African immigrants in Germany that were the first victims of the Nazis. A uh, little bit of explanation is in order. Toward the end of the First World War, uh, Hitler was a corporal in the German army. And when he was captured by the uh, Allied powers, he, uh, he, 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 he was a war prisoner for a while. And uh, some of the Germans were, were guarded by African troops that were, uh, that were uh, recruited from Africa uh, by this African politician based in France, uh, Blaise Diania. And um, he recruited a, a, a lot of Africans out of Senegal to fight in the French army. And uh, and some of the and after the war was over, uh, uh, they uh, they were assigned to guard the Germans, which to them was a big insult. Uh, and they settled in uh, Germany and other parts of Europe, and uh, uh, intermingled with the European population. The offspring of those relationships were the first victims of the Nazis, in addition to their uh, homosexual population. And then, uh, so there were, uh, so there, uh, there, there were certain uh, ideological conditions that were put in place that allowed the Nazis to emerge as this world power. And the capitalist forces saw this, but they thought that they would be able to put a break on the uh, 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 to, to defeat the uh, uh, Soviet Union, which had uh, just established socialism uh, in in, uh, in that part of Europe. Okay, sorry, panelists. What are we going to do? We're going to take point. a break. Let me, let me give a little two cents in here, please. Mike is yours, Moses. Uh, um, Bush not only being a cohort and a complicit with the Reagan administration as his vice president, he went on when he had his own own office. He 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 paraded around this uh, um, what is it, uh, uh, Kuwaiti ambassador's daughter. Who who only used her first name to disguise the fact that she was a Kuwaiti daughter, and she gave the world this crime and 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 uh, testimony about how 
the Iraqi troops who had invaded Iraq or Kuwait were putting uh, babies out, taking babies out of incubators and, and letting them die on the on the floor. And she cried and, and pleaded for help. And uh, it turned out she was lying. And, uh, and then she was the, actually the Kuwaiti's ambassador in disguise. And, uh, and uh, so this this led to the directly to the the this was part of the propaganda which led to the invasion of Kuwait by by American troops uh, to oust Saddam Hussein and you know President Bush laid the foundation for what would what would be the uh, the the invasion of Iraq eventually uh, by his son. And so you know he has a long legacy of of uh, of uh, imperialist conquest and uh, and none of that is being brought out during his his uh, uh, memorial. Uh, I'll leave it right there. Thank you. I mean I don't know how they elude, uh, equip the word of being um, sensitive and caring because. Um, a lot of times he can judge a book by the company that, that, that he keeps. That response by his wife in terms of Katrina and just his whole history of dealing with people of color was nothing sensitivity about his his, his his behavior, his policy. But anyway, you know, I just thought we'd just uh, give a brief little narrative on how we perceive how they are trying to create history and create a narrative again. It's not based upon truth for it. And we got to fight against that because, again, he who controls history, you know, they will control the world. Or at least the presentation of history, that's what we're fighting about, how history has been presented and its impact on us. So, um, you know, I was just wondering where people was at in terms of, if you went through this past week, seeing all this propaganda being created of a situation that never exists when it comes to the history of um George Bush, you know, and uh, what we're going to do, we're going to pause for the calls. When you come back, we'll continue to discuss this issue of what's going on in the world community, and then we will perceive, in, perceive to our tonight's theme, which is we have the power, we are rule. We'll be right back, and you all listen to Africa on the Move. And he was taken from 
simply because who they are or who we are. So I, I think that so when we look at the situation, and, 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 it's, and it's just an example of many examples that happen, you know, throughout the South and throughout this country in terms of, you know, um, you know um, African people being victimized, you know, by white violence. Uh, so I think that, you know, when we talk about the 1919, for instance, the really hot summer, you talk about the fact that with some point where people get enough, say enough is enough, and people start fighting back. And so it's strange enough that during that, during that time, you know, actually after that time, uh, the number of these kind of incidents actually decreased. So it gives you some idea in terms of, you know, uh, the white power structure's uh, response when people actually stand up. Uh, people are actually willing to, to fight, uh, then what happens is that they tend to be respected. Conversely, if you don't, if you sit there and you try to rationalize this kind of treatment or you acquiesce or you try to justify why you should be treated as such, then in the minds of the powerful, particularly the white power structure, you're perceived as weak and so therefore vulnerable, which means that you should be attacked even more. So I think this gives an, a, an example in terms of what happens when people fight back. When you fight back, uh, there's, there's, there's less kind of these atrocities committed against African people. When you don't fight back, more atrocities committed against African people. So I think that's something that we really have to start thinking about. And, uh, it is, I, and I'm not saying that people should uh, discount their church teachings. I mean, that's fine. Turning the other cheek is fine. But at some point, you know, um, like most religious texts say, you've got to use your intelligence. You've got to use your brain in terms of thinking about things. And uh, so in Christianity, it's no different. Um, when you look at the original Christianity, they always talk about the importance of, of, of knowledge, that my people die, perish from lack of knowledge. And so, therefore, we have to begin to understand the nature of the beast, and we have to, at some point we have to take a stand because it's that interest to take a stand. It doesn't mean that we have to carry out violence. It doesn't mean that we have to hurt anybody unless, you, unless you're talking about self-defense. But it certainly means that what we have to do, we have to take a stand in terms of bringing about you know, some kind of redress when we confront it with these, these horrific uh, acts of violence committed against African people. You know, Brother Anthony, in terms of the little-known black history fact, Jacksonville Race Ride by D.L. Chandler, um, it, seemed clear, it seemed clear to me that it seemed like there's an a, 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 a agreed-upon set of behavior that is consistent in terms of what is expected from how the system should respond to people of color, as Brother Haki alluded to. Did you take mm -hmm. away from that same thought when you read the article? I did, and I did, and and I did have a question as I was reading the article, just to put things in context. What year did this uh, so-called riot take place? Uh, do you happen to know? It wasn't mentioned that's in the a, article, and I was a little question. curious as to whether whether uh, whether it coincided with a series of rebellions that took place during. The late sixties, uh, from the I mid sixties. I anticipate it was later because remember they made a reference to A. Philip Randolph and Zora near Hurston. They grew up in the neighborhood, in that childhood neighborhood. It was during that time when they were children. So I assume that it probably been in the late thirties or forties. From from looking oh, at oh you know, okay, that that reality. All right, okay. Because later on, it was 1923. Okay. 1923. Well, uh, well, actually, and the reason why I, I made, uh, uh, I brought that issue up about the date was uh, it's an indication of how long we've been dealing with this problem. 
I mean, uh, it, I mean, it was not just a sixty sort of thing because um, uh, for those uh, Africans who may not be familiar with this history, after World War One, uh, let's see when the when the Africans who who, who who served in the war came back to the U.S. They were there were there were uh, political upheavals all over the place because they were attacked by uh, Europeans, you know, uh, in the U.S., you know, because uh, that, that that they were demanding the be the, the same human rights that uh, as other veterans were getting. So uh, and also this would have taken place around the same time that the bombing of Tulsa, Oklahoma took place, which was in 1921. Mm-hmm. And uh so uh so 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 um the 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 dates are important as a frame of reference and to give uh, people an idea of how long this has been going on really since the day ending of uh, chattel slavery we've been ha- having this problem with uh you know uh you know with our human rights being trampled upon because we are disorganized. Speaking of the brother, speaking of the dates and timing, they use the concept of urban renewal even back during that time. It sounds like the same thing today. They constantly use the concept when it comes to our community and cities, urban renewal, which means, you know, that's another code word for, for what, panelists? That's what they said back during that time. They're going, to, they're going to beautify the city and do urban renewal. What does that mean in terms of, in essence, when it comes to underserved communities? It means their removal, actually. Gentrification. So, you know, all of this, this stuff they are talking today is a continuation of what they have always talked, you know. But, Brother Moses, Sister Hattie, get us your take on this article. What, what, what are some of the things came to your mind when you read this article, and what kind of parallels could you draw to as relates to how we are dealing with things today? Well, we kind of already talked about it, and the thing that hit me about the article is the fact that they said this was, you know, in the place that uh, A. Philip Randolph as well as uh, Zernia Hurston was. <clears throat> in those neighborhoods. And see, one thing I think about white folk, as you look at this history, out of slavery, the chattel slavery whole piece, even when we didn't have, our ancestors had absolutely uh, none of this, quote, land, even though each each time for some reason they're always envious and jealous of us because we seem to propel even in the worst and thrive and grow in the worst um, situations and environments that they try to throw at us and put in front of us. And so it's like, okay, when I, I just read these little pieces and I'm thinking like, well, this is this is certainly the same game uh, perpetuated, and it still goes back to the ruling class who um these 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 whites just just want to not see us 
thrive even when we leave them alone and we go on and get our own things going and let, you know, let them just do their thing and we do ours. But it says here in that little next second paragraph, it said, while also known, this neighborhood and community was known for a number of thriving businesses. And this is what seems to shake them out of their boots and scares them out of their wits and causes them to go into frizzle frazzles is when we have thriving businesses like the brother just stated. You know, this is during the same time that um, you had, uh, like you said, all kinds of things popping off because the soldiers came back. They wanted their rights as American people and men that had gone off and fight for this country and women as well that were, were nurses and that sort of thing. But um, it just it just seems like it's always this, I want to rob you of whatever you got, whatever you think you're going to get. I want to rob you if you think you're going to work hard and get something. I want to steal anything from you. You want to rob, you want to steal, and you want to destroy you. So here the war has been waged consistently throughout since you leave the shores of Africa and the molestation of the women. I mean, it, it, it it's a never-ending story and saga, which is why we desperately need our reparations from these people. And so I, I just look at it as that. We were just talking about earlier today how even you bring it right on up to now. It's just about thievery and jealousy. They just don't seem to be able to handle it. If something goes on in their psyche, and I think it's psycho, that you don't want a human being to be a human being. You know, we're all human, and we deserve respect. We deserve decency. We deserve everybody have the same needs. They want every single thing that the next human being wants. But for some reason, in these people's psychotic, psychopathological minds, they just can't handle it if, in fact, African people... And some other people. But African people especially, it seems, just don't get that, Have no, don't want us to have any humanity about us. And so that's what I say about the ruling class. They want to keep that white psychopathology going at all costs when it is so absurd. I mean, you look at the president's wife now, how she literally read off Michelle Obama's uh, speech when she came into the White House. I mean, she literally did that. And and nobody, you know, people were polite and they didn't say anything about it too much. But that should have been like something that should have kept going on and on. And how she should have been ashamed of herself that she wouldn't, that she just read that lady's speech off. She read Michelle Obama's speech off. And this is what they have consistently done throughout our history. Many of the discoveries that were not theirs, they stole them and took it for their own, made money off of it, and pushed the black man down who really invented it or stole from the black man. And and then sometimes they weren't allowed to do it, but uh, it, it's just been the same saga over and over and over and over. So... I will get off of that bandwagon. Same thing, warmed over, always will be until we decide 
that we are going to stand up for something as a people, and we are going to keep the same tune going and tell the truth to what is going on with us from these people who are just terrible. Before we make our transition, Brother Moses, your your um, your analysis of this particular article. Well, I thought it was interesting that uh, you know this this white man was a, saw a black man, and so he assumed he, that he broke into his car, and, uh, and then another white man hands hands uh, hands him a gun. And so he fires on the black man, you know, as if property was more valuable than life. And, you know, this insensitive is a black life lives. And uh, when he ran into the, to near the children, the man evidently continued to fire after him, showing a total insensitivity to the children in their lives. And so, you know, this, this thing that, you know, black lives, don't really matter uh, if you're got property. That's what's that's what's key, and uh, the white the white person has rights, and uh, he was never charged with anything. Uh, so I thought all that was said something about the the narrative uh, that we still see today. Thank you. Okay, panelists, what we're going to do, we're going to make our transition to the theme tonight, which is which is titled, We Had a Power, We Rule. Now, when you're talking about situations that you may find yourself in, you must try to always try to figure out the essence of what is the essence of that you're dealing with, you know. And seeing like today, the communication aspect of why people are doing what they're doing is somewhat straightforward when you look at this present administration and the nature of how the system is functioning. They seem to be saying to the world, a certain segment or sector of this uh, this, this, this system, uh, people who control the system and run the system, they seem to be communicating to the world that they have the power, therefore they're going to rule. We're going to discuss that in the context of some articles that raises that reality. And we want to maybe share with the rest of the world, maybe if this is what we're dealing with, then how should we uh, respond to such a um, such a disposition? But to do that, we're going to pause for a second, and we'll be right back, and we want to respond to this particular scenario that came from this first article that was titled Papa News Tell UNWTO ICC to Bow and Comply with U.S.-led world order. One of the statements in the article, it says that the senior member of the Donald Trump administration said a multilateral approach is failing to produce a world of unrestricted capital. Now, it's producing a world of unrestricted capital. That's interesting. So the U.S. should rule supreme. Sorry. Assume a leadership role to ensure that countries like China then try to offer an alternative way. So in the context of we have the power, we rule, we're going to discuss this. But when we come back, panelists, we'd like to hear your view on that particular point I just read, and let's share our understanding with the rest of the world. We'll be right back. You are listening to Africa on the Move 
We are in the seat, and we're going to take the heat. And if we define it, we're going to stand behind it. We'll be right back. You have the emergence in human society of this thing that's called the state. What is the state? The state is this organized bureaucracy. It is the police department. It is the army, the navy. It is the prison system, the courts, and what have you. This is the state. It is a repressive organization. But the state... And you, well, you know, you've got to have the police, because if there were no police, look at what you'd be doing to yourselves. You'd be killing each other if there were no police. But the reality is, the police become necessary in human society. You know how we think, organize the hood under our ching banners. Red, black, and green instead of gang bandanas. FBI spying on us through the radio antennas. And I'm hitting cameras in the street like watching society. With no respect for the people's right to privacy. I take a slug for the cause like Huey P. While all you fake niggas try to copy Master P. I want to be free to live, able to have what I need to live. Bring the power back to the street where the people live. We sick of working for crumbs and filling up the prisons. Dying over money and relying on religion for help. We do for self like ants in a colony. Organize the wealth into a socialist economy. A way of life based off the common needs. And all my comrades is ready. We just spreading the seed. Live a third of his life in a jail cell Cause the world is controlled by the white male And the people don't never get justice And the women don't never get respected And the problems don't never get solved And the jobs don't never pay enough So the rent always be late Can you relate? No more bondage, no more political monsters, no more secret space launches. Government departments started it in the projects, material objects, thousands up in the closets. Could have been invested in the future for my comrades. Battle contacts, primitive weapons out in combat. Many never come back, pretty niggas be running with gas. Rather get shot in they back than fire back. We're tired of that. Corporations hiring blacks, denying the facts, exploiting us all over the map. That's why I write the shit I write in my rap. It's documented, I meant it. Every day of the week, I live in it, breathing it. It's more than just fucking believing it. I'm holding in one, rolling up my sleeves and shit. It's the low for push-ups now, many headed for one conclusion. Niggas ain't ready for revolution. Yeah, I've been black live a third of his life in a jail cell. Cause the world is controlled by the white male. And the people don't never get justice. And the women don't never get respected. And the problems don't never get solved. And the jobs don't never pay enough. So the rent always be late. Can you relate? We living in a police state.
talking back to Africa the Moon, a message from Dead Crayons. Today we're going to deal with the thing we have the power we rule from an article I just mentioned earlier for break from the break uh, by Steph Ryder from RT on Friday, December seventh, titled Pompano's Tell UN WTO ICC to Bow and Comply with US Led World Order. US Led World Order. And from one of the paragraphs of this particular article it talks about that uh, the Trump administration said that a multilateral approach is failing to produce a world of unrestricted capital or unrestricted capitalism to the U.S. So therefore, you uh, talk about the U.S. should rule. It should, their rule should be supreme. And it should take leadership role to ensure that countries like China didn't try to offer an alternative way. Panelists. When you hear that kind of talk, when you hear that kind of language, what are we fighting against, um, Brother Hackey? Well, I think the point is that I think what he's saying is that the pursuit of pursuit of wealth, the pursuit of power, is the most important uh, motivation in the world for human beings. And as such, they don't want any system at all to come in the way of their ability to exploit, to extract wealth from human beings whether it be physical labor or material or material possessions that their land offer. So I think this kind of mindset speaks violence in terms of the kind of hate, uh, the kind of um, uh, physical disregard uh, you know, for human life uh, that, that manifests itself in terms of you know, political leadership in the West, particularly places like the United States, the U.K., uh, France, um, and uh, so forth. Uh, one of the things I think is important to have an adequate discussion and people understand where we're coming from, Brother Africa, if you would indulge me. Uh, we need to talk a little bit just to reiterate this question in terms of liberalism. And earlier I talked about the fact that uh, liberal, uh, liberal, liberalism is simply political economic doctrine that emphasizes individual autonomy or protection of individual rights against the state. In other words, if you're, if, if, if you're a wealthy person and you don't want any type of uh, governmental uh, barriers to prevent you from exploiting masses of people, you want the absolute right to exploit them ruthlessly. If they live in huts, so be it. If they die, so be it. Uh, if they have no future, so be it, as long as I get rich. And so that's essentially what the uh, liberal world order talks about, and that's what he's talking about. Now, interesting enough, though, the person who, who's, who's given me credit for Determine such a phrase, Milton Freeman. Freeman never said that uh, with liberalism, you know, uh, that that you that that uh, it's going to uh, that, that somehow that the individual is capable of solving problems. His thing was the most efficient way in terms of maintaining wealth was primarily what he was talking about. That's all he was talking about. Uh, he wasn't talking about in terms of the individual's ability as an individual to actually solve problems. That's not what he was talking about. So in that context, then we talk about how crazy the system is and how inhumane and understanding why you have a system where, you know, you, you, you mass incarcerate your citizens, where you create a situation where uh, people don't have access to education or people don't have access to shelter and home or people don't have access to the things they need in terms of being a human being. So you literally take the resources of the world and you give those resources uh, to one, a small percentage of the population. And they're saying that's the way things should be. In fact, their position is that things are changing, that too many people are, 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 are enjoying the wealth, and they want to put an end to that because the U.S., as you know, 
is the chief architect in terms of you know the global the world the, the world the world of global uh, global liberalism, and so therefore as such they should be in a position to determine you know how things should go, and one of the things they use in terms of um, in terms of you know defining how things should go is markets. Often they talk about markets. The question becomes you know what is what is a market. When they talk about market, essentially what they're talking about, they're talking about organized interest. So they're talking about the elite. For instance, if you, for instance, if you talk about housing, right, uh, housing should be affordable. But in the context of a liberalized system, the housing is not, is, is not, is, is not affordable. Uh, because what happens is that those individuals who own the property should have a right to, uh, to own a home should have a right to charge as much as they want, irrespective of how much, how impoverished the population is, because their right, so profit is more important to the human being's right to have shelter. And so, therefore, with this market we talk about, it's not something that objectively exists. It only exists in the mind of the wealthy people whose position is that we have the fundamental right to, 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 to decide, you know, how society should be organized, who gets what, who doesn't get what. So that's it. We should keep that in mind. Now, when this guy talks about destruction of multilateral institutions, he talks about destruction of the UN, IMF, the International Criminal Court, World Trade Organization, et cetera. Now, interestingly enough, these, these multilateral uh, institutions were all created by the United States, interestingly enough. But what they're saying now is these functions no longer uh, um, are true to their, to, their, to their purpose. In other words, they're not doing a very good job in terms of exploiting the rest of the world, and so therefore the U.S. must take its rightful place because the U.S. alone can do a better job of exploiting the world. I think it's the message that the French and the Germans got when they started talking about the fact that we need our own army because at some point – we may have to take on the United States because they understand the nature of what they're talking about when they talk about liberalism. Uh, so interesting enough, you know, when you talk about the UN, you know, uh, one of the things they say that the UN is not doing a job because you got people on on the Security Councils, you know, who are who who positions or policies are antithetical or opposition to the interests of the U.S. In particular, you talk about somebody like Russia or China or Venezuela. Or Cuba, you know, these people's position is that you know that the U.S. should change in terms of accommodating human needs, and the U.S. position is that we could never accommodate human needs because we're all about the profit and the power, and so therefore they have fundamental odds in terms of how society should be organized. The IMF, International, International Monetary Fund, well, we call, of course, it's created by the West for the sole purpose of exploiting the rest of the world. The U.S. position is that, in terms of Secretary Pompei, his position is that IMF is not doing a good enough job to exploit the rest of the world. I don't know how much exploitation can you expect. The other position is that if we got to IMF, then we've compelled these third, so-called third world nations to deal with us independently so we can do a better job to exploit their resources. And so, therefore, we need IMF out of the way. Very interesting, very interesting uh, position. Um, when you talk about the, the World Trade Organization, you know, some of trade – and that's, they're giving up too much. Uh, the U.S. should be in a position to adequately um, 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 take people's resources without pay, paying relatively little. And the fact that they have to pay anything is a sore spot for the U.S., and so therefore they want the World Trade Organization out of the way so the U.S. conducts its business to ensure that you get a, that countries around the world get as little as possible for their resources. This is crazy. This is insanity. But all this speaks to the fact that when we, when we talk about the, the kind of injustice that permeates society, the insanity that Sister Addy talks about, when we look at that, then clearly it has its basis in a, in a, in a structure, eco-political structure uh, that is geared toward, you know, empowering few at the expense of the many. So we can anticipate, given that mindset, that the kind of pain and frustration inflicted upon the masses of people will only exacerbate it. It will only get worse and worse and worse. 
You know, Brother Anthony, when he said, well, when they talk about unrestricted capitalism, to me it means uh, deregulation. Yeah, no rules for corp- corporations. It means that when you create budgets, you should tax the poor more and get tax breaks, breaks to the rich. Unrestricted capitalism means also that your allegiance is not to a nation, but to a particular uh, wealthy class of individuals. Unrestricted capitalism means to create walls of chaos so you can continue to dominate. Unrestricted capitalism means create a military that can go all around the world and pose itself by force, even if it means coming to other countries and sit on top of them with your military, like Afrocon. These are all the characteristics and behaviors and manifestations of unrestricted capitalism. So, Brother Anthony, are we surprised that they create a scenario that you can have a man in the White House today speaking and governing the way that he is governed because he is carrying out this order or trying to create and show that there will be unrestricted capitalism and only a few of the power of the rich will rule? Not surprised uh, because that fits in a trend of development that has been uh, going on for the last couple of hundred years. And uh, right now, uh, the U.S. is the most powerful capitalist country. Uh, it, it emerged as such at the end of World War II when all the other uh, capitalist countries were weakened by that war because they had the better brunt of that war on their own soil, whereas the U.S. emerged from that relatively unscathed, except for, uh, you know, the loss of human life that it entailed. So, uh, uh, but uh, this is what uh, imperialism, uh, uh, you know, the, the highest stage of capitalism leads to. It leads to a situation in which, uh, you know, the few exploit the majority of the world in its own interests, regardless of what uh, of what happens, uh, you know, to the to the masses of the people. And uh, this is the underlying philosophy that governs capitalism, and why it must be defeated. And can only be defeated by the organized masses of the people. And uh, gradually, I think the world is starting to realize that. And uh, with struggle, uh, let's see, the majority of the working class will realize this in this society as well. You know, Sister Hattie, I thought it would be interesting the next last paragraph where it talks about the Paris Agreement on climate change was bad for America, so it left. NAFTA was bad for America, so it forced a renegotiation. The nuclear deal with Iran didn't uh, make Tehran complacent, so it had to go. When I read that particular paragraph, of had it, it comes back to my memory that when I talk to the indigenous people, they often tell me that every treaty they wrote with everyone they broke. This question of negotiation putting things on paper really means nothing. 
the bottom line when you're dealing with um, the elite and the powerful, all about what, all about force and power. What do you make of that analysis as we read this paper and look at the current reality of how the elite and the powerful is now operating throughout the world? Right. That's that's what they've always been about. And, and frankly speaking, I think that's why America became uh, the wealthiest nation. Because I can't think of any other nation in our modern times that had chattel slavery. I think chattel slavery is the ultimate reason that America is wealthy, has been wealthy, because nobody else had free labor for hundreds of years. And so I think therein lies the wealth. The people, they're greedy, selfish, I, and I and I know I just cycle cycles. They're cycles. That I mean, how much is enough? What power? What what sense of um, humanity do you not have to the point of it doesn't make any difference to you how you step on the poor, how you exploit people, how you will do anything to make more money. You know, what's what's the point? What's the point in that? You know, just inhumane, inhumane. Uh, it's, it's almost not human. How, what, how could another human being treat humans like that, another human being like that, any other human being? How could a human being? So it says something about the humanity of these people that are in in these uh, places and and how they get their money and and their money has gotten through all kinds of atrocious avenues and ways and yet some of them can clean that money up and make it look like they were such good humanitarians but the truth and the fact of the matter is it's it's just not the way they think it is and ultimately. I just don't see how they can keep it up. And just, I just have one little example. It was um, something I got in the mail, and they were they were asking me for a donation to send some Bibles or scriptures to the soldiers. And let me just show you how bizarre this is. I want to just say they give you a little book. It says Hope and Comfort from God's Word. Scripture selections of inspiration and encouragement. They want to send these to the soldiers, right? The people that are fighting war. And and then look at the first thing you come up with in this little book talking about peace and joy. Man, you this you don't send these people off to war. How in the hell are they going to be peaceful and joyous? So you that's to me insane. <laughs> And I took this thing and I said, I'm going to write these people and say, please do not send me any more of your literature. I mean, I'm all for people being encouraged. But you know what? This is crazy. You want people to be joyous? You want people to be peaceful? It's a war you just send them off into. How crazy are these people? They're insane. They won't, they won't take it doesn't make sense. 
you saying they want to take God children from the west to go over to the east and kill God children in the east. But yet they also be God children. I hear you. Yes. Yes. Uh, yes. Y'all crazy people. As far as I'm concerned, they are psychopaths. These people running the show have been psychopaths, and they are. Otherwise, why on earth would you be so adamant about keeping other ways of governing people, other ways of living together in the sense on that piece of the, the literature that you send us? Why, why not look at something else different? You still don't have enough money, and you're a billionaire? you already a billionaire. What more could you possibly need? You know what I'm saying? And so, you know, the article, when it talks about this, it's, to me, it's, it's more of that insanity, more of that psychopathological sickness that these people have who want to rule over other people like that. It's insane. So... You know, That's but, my thought on when he's talking about all of that stuff. So, yeah, and, and it's just one crazy move after the next for them. It's just bizarre. But they don't see it as bizarre. They see it as power. I got to tell you, Sister Hattie, one of the things that really will really get to them big time it's the fact that you talk about people potentially going to change the way the world is organized. We talk about people like uh, ethnic, uh, so-called ethnic minorities, like the Chinese and the Russia. Even though Russia is predominantly Asian, uh, the media won't show you that. But clearly, it, it irritates them to no end that the possibility that the people who can create a better world happen to be ethnic, uh, ethnic uh, minorities, at least in the context of America. And so I think that really, really pisses them off. But let me just say one thing about terms, I think, just to make sure people understand adequately where we're coming from when we talk about this kind of uh, uh, liberal uh, worldview as far as uh, a state, state, uh, uh, Secretary of State that Pompeo is talking about. Uh, we need to talk about this question in terms of U.S. interest and what does that mean. Often the media talk about U.S. interests. They don't tell people what the hell are you talking about in U.S. interests. Well, in order to understand what those interests are, uh, uh, we need to talk about you know uh, uh, some things. One, U.S. exceptionalism. One of the things, this notion that U.S. exceptionalism. Remember, when Barack Obama reigned for the, for the first time for the for the office of the President of the United States. One of the things they were upset about that was two things. One, he didn't have a lapel with an American flag on it, and secondly, he refused to acknowledge that America is exceptional. <laughs> exceptional meaning that America has an idea, and so this idea it has is good for the world. So that's what we talk about American exceptionalism. This question in terms of manifest destiny, uh, in terms of interest. Uh, one of the things manifest destiny talked about was the fact that uh, expanding territorial control over other states. And so, therefore, this is a guiding philosophy in terms of, you know, American interest. That she has a fundamental right to take over people's land, take their resources without question. The Monroe Doctrine, right, would simply say that uh, this was specifically uh, uh, geared toward the European nations. It said to the European nations, that any of you who consider colonizing uh, any states in North or South America will be considered an act of aggression by the United States. In other words, the problem of imperialism or exploitation of the people in the, in the, in the, in the Southern Hemisphere lies with the main of the United States. They got an absolute right to exploit those countries in its regions, whereas those in Europe have no right to come over here and, and get, in, get in the United States' business. So that is 
So that is crazy. So when we talk about use interest, it's an imperialist mindset that you have a formula right to take people's resources, to take away people's land. Uh, it's something that's embedded in terms of the Western thought, particularly when it comes to the United States of America. Uh, and one of the things, when we look in terms of AFRICOM and Africa, and we look at all these, the, 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 all these military formations, you know, in 53 out of 54 African states, they clearly this notion that, in fact, that we have a fundamental right to be there is something that's guiding their, their military philosophy and it's something that we as a people, freedom of people, have to be very, very concerned about. Pax Americana. Uh, it was the U.S. ability to manage global e- and economic secu- economics and security. Uh, well, the problem is that with Pax Americana, that often what happens is that, particularly in context of now, what happens you have the emergence of countries like China, Russia, Cuba, Venezuela, Afghanistan, and Somalia, who challenge the U.S. on every turn. Uh, this challenge is particularly, particularly intense when it comes to China and Russia, because Russia and China both have not only the military might, but the economic means you know, to defend you know, its position. And so, therefore, this constitutes a real problem for the United States. One of the things they want to do is they want to, they want to adequately uh, be in a position to actually bomb uh, places like China and Russia. But the problem is that if you actually use nuclear weapons to bomb China and Russia, then you run the risk of destruction of the whole planet because they also possess nuclear weaponry. And so it's a problem for them. Uh, when you talk about a place like Afghanistan, well, this is a war that's been going on for 17 years. The Afghans are winning. Now the U.S. is talking about some peace talks with the Afghans, trying to get Pakistan involved. Well, the reason, the only reason they, get, they, they have the Pakistanis involved and they talk to Afghans is because they know they can't win Afghanistan. So, therefore, there's a hard pill for them to swallow. These brown people kicking the United States ass. These are dirt poor people. So, for those people in America who say, well, you know, you're poor, you don't stand a chance, you can't, meet the, you, can't, you can't compete with the mightiest country on the planet. Well, the Afghans are dirt poor, I mean, dirt poor people kicked the U.S. ass, and, then, and they got no intentions on quitting. And the U.S. realized that. So now they're saying, you know what, we better, call, we better call for a treaty here, a peace treaty, and get us out of Afghanistan because these people are not going to stop fighting. They're continuing to fight for the next 100 years. And uh, so kudos to the Afghans in terms of their, their diligence, in terms of, you know, fighting for what they believe in. Uh, places like Somalia, uh, you know, we got a lot of brothers and sisters who are Muslims in Somalia. They fear that the Somalis would uh, uh, defeat the U.S. and spread uh, the Islamic uh, faith throughout the continent, particularly the East African part of Africa. It rains heavily on their mind. This explains why there's such a large contingent of military, U.S. military in Somalia fighting against um, uh, Boko Haram, I mean, against uh, the, um, the brothers and sisters in Somalia. Uh, now, one of the things, now, just to be balanced, one of the things we have to understand that there are some favorable results. This strategy in terms of absolute control by the U.S. in terms of expression of, you know, of its interest, this exists worldwide. So favorably, they do have some wins. They did a very good job in terms of corrupting the politics of Brazil and, as a consequence, elected Bolsonaro, a, a Nazi. He's straight up Nazi, he doesn't, and he doesn't care who knows about it. He's straight up. They call him the thing in Brazil. But he's straight up Nazi. He doesn't care. Uh, he'll do everything he can to advance U.S. interests. And so that's a win as far as you're not concerned. They also managed to co-opt the, the, the elections in Ethiopia, and they brought into power a brother who happened to be of the Romo tribe, Brother Ahmed. Um, the problem is that if, in fact, if he carried through on all those pledges that he made in terms of changing everything his predecessors did, it's in favor of the United States' interest that he do so. And so, therefore, if, in fact, he carries out those changes, America have 
succeeded in winning a winning uh, a, a big a a a a big a big a big part of uh, of its control of Africa. Macron, Macron of France. Now, only reason this guy's in power right now in France is because of CIA manipulation and the kind of money they put into the into the to the, to, to, to the election in France, and where they they, vil, they vilified uh, Le Pen. Uh, don't get me wrong, Le Pen is racist. I mean, just like her father. I mean, so question about it. She's racist to the damn bone. But yet, but but she has some some pretty good ideas in terms, of, at least in terms of trying to do something in terms of the the French people. Uh, Macron, uh, who always represented the business interests, uh, those who, those who in the West, particularly in the United States, who understood that those business interests were important to U.S. interests, manipulate those elections, put lots of money in terms of propaganda campaign behind Le Pen to make sure she doesn't win, ultimately to, decide, to ensure that Macron, Macron, how about you pronounce his name, Macron, 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 anyway, to ensure that Macron, he wins. Yeah. Macron, yeah, to ensure that ensure, ensure that he wins. So clearly, you know, uh, you know, there's a situation um, in terms of U.S. interests. They're convoluted. Uh, there is no logic to it. It's simply all based upon power. And the mere fact that they feel that they can do it, and when they cheat, if they continue to manipulate the masses of American people, uh, specifically if they continue to manipulate uh, manipulate the masses of Western people generally. Then they're in the in 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 the driver's seat in terms of being able to actually pull off, you know, uh, uh, a lot of these things you just like to see done in terms of uh, the disraveling or, or or destroying destruction of certain multilateral institutions like the UN, IMF, ICC, the World Trade Organization, and so forth and so on. And like you mentioned earlier, all the institutions was the same institutions they created. They had to destroy it because they can't use it as a tool just for just to uh, just for themselves. But brother Moses, you know they first say the first rule of war is to know the enemy. Now, when you read this article, um, those in power, those who want to rule, those who want to govern, govern, they have problem again acknowledging that there's a climate change taking place. What do you say to these people, brother Moses? Well, you know I think brother Anthony put it correctly. This is the highest stage of capitalism. This is imperialism. This is, you know, the U.S. trying to impose its will on the world, to police the world, to to uh, to dominate and uh, exploit. And you know, and there is no reasoning with it. It's not that you can sit down and, and explain the situation to them, and they'll find they'll change their behavior because it's not a policy. It's the highest stage of capitalism. It's a pursuit of Profit-driven drive, profit drive, and uh, desire to have more and more wealth. And you know, there's no reasoning. There is no reasoning with them. Uh, uh, ultimately, you know, the people are going to have to organize themselves and uh, and fight fight the imperialists. And uh, that's the bottom line. Uh, I'll leave it right there. Thank you. Okay, panelists, final thoughts, anybody who would like to share any other thoughts on this article before we make our transition to the next one as relates to the thing we have the power, we are rule. Any final thoughts? Yes. Um, I think it's important to understand that the that the purpose of this uh of these objectives that uh, Pompeo laid out is to ensure that 
that that the U.S. remains uh, the number one uh, capitalist power in the world. That that's all that this is about. And if any and if any organizations that exist do not serve that end, and they need to get they need to be eliminated. I think that's what I think. I think that's the most important thing people should take away from this article is that the U.S. is about destroying anything that does not serve its interests of maintaining, uh, you know, um, you know, its status as as the number one uh, uh, capitalist country in the world, and it's characteristic of all em- empires historically. Uh, whether you're talking about the Roman, British, uh, you know, Spanish Empire, that they all rise, they all think they're going to last forever once they once they reach their zenith, and then they ultimately fall. And the uh, U.S. is not going to be any exception to that. You know what? Let me just let me just follow up something real quickly, though. And Brother Anthony is absolutely correct. Uh, these empires rise and fall, but the difference is with the the, the, the previous uh, empires and the U.S. empire is that we're talking about ex control of information. The U.S. does a very good job in terms of controlling information. As such, the propaganda is extremely powerful. It got people working against their own self-interest. People who never come come be able to come to the realization, you know, that what's happening to them, you know, uh, to a large extent exists because they participate they participate in it. They don't even understand that. That's how powerful it is. So I said it to say that when we talk about the decline of U.S. empire, then we got to understand that a lot of people are going to die. I mean, let's just, let's just not get around that. You know, the whole point in terms of doing these programs and trying to get people to think about what's going on is so to minimize the number of people potentially who are going to kill as a result of the decline of this empire. But, of course, we don't have the kind of media where, you know, 20, you know 25 hours a day, seven days a week, 365 days a year, we can propagandize people. We can get people, make people think. Uh, if we had that kind of power, then clearly uh, we'd be in trouble. Uh, they will find a way to make sure that we that we that we cease to exist. Uh, but the whole point is that um, so the decline in the U.S. is going to be a little bit different. Uh, whereas you had the British Empire that went down and did relatively peaceful. Very, you know, uh, you talk, you're not talking about uh, tens of millions of people dying in terms of once they relinquish power. In the U.S. is going to be quite different. It's literally going to be millions and millions of people who are going to perish simply because they don't understand, you know, what's going on in the society and, and why the kind of things take place that take place. And so, and they're very good in terms of pitting people against one another. So, you know, uh, needless to say, the propaganda is going to be a, play a big part in terms of showing the destruction of lots and lots of people. Uh, and I hate to say that, uh, like like Bob Marley said, that's a natural mystic. And um, so many people have to die and so many, you know, and don't ask him why. He doesn't know why that's so. But uh, nonetheless, that's just the poor reality in terms of history. And so, therefore, you know, we, we certainly hope that by having these programs, that we, make, we, can, we can compel people to actually think about this stuff and they will actually do some research and come to the realization that something's wrong and wrong and that they must get involved if we go to minimize these numbers potentially who are going to die as a result of the decline of the U.S. empire. You got to listen to Africa on the move. Right now, we are generally seen. We have the power. We rule. And if you really want to see something, or hear something really hypocritical. It speaks straight to this point. Stick around two minutes when we come back from the station break. 
gun clock, buck shot, shot. They fly through the truck spot, robot. You give a damn who the fuck shot. Clean cop, clean cop, fucking with that dirty cop. Don't act like your ass never heard of that. Clean cop, clean cop, rolling with that mean cop. Still trying to act proud as a peacock. You know that mean cop might need a detox. Motherfucker tried to blow me out my Reeboks. But I swing like Jack in a beanstalk. Chop him down when these bitches try to lock me down. Hit the ground, hit the turf, walk the earth. You kidnap your mind, Patty Hurst. Bust a verse that'll make your ass hit reverse. Kill the curse that was placed on the universe. West Coast warlord, black it in the black night. Fuck a black and white when they ain't acting right. Good cop, good cop, filling out your report. Bad cop asking you to distort. Bad cop asking you to lie in court. Send another young brother up north. Send another young sister off course. Why these motherfuckers still on the golf course? About the new case they got Do or die cop with that suicide cop Tell the truth cop with that true lie cop Are you fucking high cop? Don't even try cop Ain't no motherfucking drugs up in my spot All you find in my closet is a high top And my motherfucking ticket to the skybox Hold up nigga, I'm a rider Use a roller, yes the controller Make me mad, that's when I get swollen The incredible hocus bipolar Come out the cup, knock off the rust Throw my hands up, so you still wanna bust The Trojan horse is full of excessive force When they try to get aggressive niggas off the court Police showing out for the white cop Police showing out for the black cop Organized things will get better. 
We're welcoming you back here. We speak truth to power. And we would like to continue the discussion around the theme. We have the power, we rule. And they talk about something that's very hypocritical uh, um, in terms of the context of those in power. That was a recent article that was talking about a response uh, by the Trump administration, by Donald Trump, as it relates to this whole concept and the game that has been played on this whole concept of the importance of of the federal deficit. You hear this all the time for the last 15, 20 years. All of a sudden now, whenever something comes up and money needs to be allocated to do something to advance the people on a daily basis in their lives and make it better, you always hear this concept about, you know, we can't increase the federal deficit. It becomes very, very important. But when you look at this article that was written on the 5th of December 2018 by Alex Henderson, it talked it called the Trump trauma, the Trump trauma. It's really interesting in terms of his attitude, Donald Trump's attitude toward the whole concept of the federal deficit. And brother Anthony, what was the biggest contradiction from this article when it talk about when we talk about the federal deficit in terms of how Donald Trump viewed it? What was his perspective on this? He said, uh, yeah, but I won't be here. So, in other words, he doesn't care how bad the deficit gets during the court as a result of the decisions of his administration. By the time, you know, uh, uh, you, uh, you, know uh, uh, you know, it gets to be severe, he'll be gone, uh, at least by 2025. And, um, you know, and that's hypocritical because they tend to blame, uh, you know, Democratic administrations, you know, and it's, uh, you know, people don't realize there's two sides of the same coin. They do not, uh, they do not, uh, you know, uh, focus on uh, cutting expenses or tax hikes for, uh, for the wealthy 1%. And uh, and and uh, w- which he's opposed to, or spending cuts, and uh, you know, and and the thing about though, and and there's a lot of waste in the federal government that if uh, that 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 could actually, uh, you know, salvage uh, you know funds to keep some of the some programs that are needed by people to keep them uh, you, you know surviving. But he thinks that growth in and of itself can reduce the deficit. And there is no real growth right now. Because all the all the US does is uh build prisons and, and wage war. Sister Hattie, what kind of game has been played on the people around this myth about the importance of a um, federal deficit while those in power say, hey, I can get all I can get and the hell with it? Well, like the article says, it's that double standard um, period. As you just said, it, it kind of goes back to, oh, Democrats, they're the ones that do all this, but they're all they're both the same, <laughs> you know. 
Uh, I, I don't know that I have anything to add to this unseemingly unscrupulous person who's not even polite. He just, I mean, and others probably are feeling the same way that he does and many of them because they're so selfish and just as self-centered as they could be, only care about their own, their families, their personal families. We're not even talking about beyond that. That's as far as his humanity goes, if he has any there. It's still debatable if he has any humanity with the women around him, his daughter and wife included. But um, it just seems that he just doesn't care about too much of anything except for himself, his own little world. There's nothing else except that in his in his blood, in his vein, in his being. And I don't know how you get around that other than saying this is criminal to do this to a country and people in it and to think of it like that. But it's their actions. It's it's their actions. Well, this hypocrisy is just pop and course. It's what they always do. They're not concerned about deficits. That's that's, that's not their concern whatsoever. They're concerned about the enrichment of the 1%, and that's their focus. Because the whole thing, the more you enrich the 1%, the more power they have, the more they have to control over society. And that's precisely what they want. Uh, Also, keep in mind that John Bowdoin, National Security Advisor, uh, he also talked about debt levels. And he talked about not only debt levels, but he talked about public obligations being a source of uh, the deficits. Now, when we talk about public obligations, you know what he's talking about, right? He's talking about Social Mm -hmm. Security. You're talking about Social Security. Of course, Social Security is not is not the problem in terms of the economy. The economy is the problem is, as Brother Anthony and Brother and Sister alluded to, is revenue, and that's the problem. So when you look at the, the GDP, when you look at the debt to GDP ratio, in other words, the number of goods and services sold without going to debt, when you look at U.S. check record, it's not very very good. In part because of the, the decline of the value of the dollar, and also because a lot of people are simply getting away from the dollar. So you have people like Russia who are not even trading in dollars anymore. You have countries like China, countries like uh, India, who are discussing in terms of utilizing their own uh, currency for you know for trade. So clearly, all of that contributes to the debt. But one thing I think, Brother Africa, is if, if Trump is so concerned about deficits, you know what he you know what he should do? He shouldn't have his money um, parked at the Corporation Trust Center in Wilmington, Delaware. But people who don't know what that is, the Corporation Trust Center in Wilmington, Delaware. Is a building in which the wealthiest people in society actually have their money. It's a shelter. Like you, also you talk about the Bahamas, or you talk about the Cayman Islands, or you talk about Switzerland, uh, these places where you hide your money. Well, you can do that right here in America. You don't have to go abroad to do it. You can do it right in Wilmington, Delaware. It's called a Corporation Trust Center. Ironically, you know, out of uh, the 515 people who supported Trump candidacy in terms of with money, 378 of those individuals have funds with the Corporation Trust Center. So these people pay no taxes at all on their wealth. So clearly, if he's concerned about deficit, one of the things, the first thing he would do would take his money and remove it from the Corporation Trust Center in Wilmington, Delaware. And they also include people like Hillary and Bill Clinton. They also have similar uh, trusts in Delaware and no accounts that people need to know. That's right. That's right. Brother Moses. Brother Moses. When you read this article, Brother Moses, when you read this article, uh, it seemed like it's straightforward that he just don't give a damn 
about the people. He don't deal with damn about the economy. It's all about making money for his his sector. What do you say mm-hmm. to these to the everyday brothers and sisters who talk about voting Democrat and Republican Party? It's all about voting. What do you say to them? Are they being just misled like a sheep down down a owl? Well, vote, if voting could change things qualitatively, we wouldn't be allowed to vote. So that's that's number one. There can only be some reforms and quantitative changes made by the vote. Uh, the, the you know the the social security system and and um, and uh, other other little reforms that have tried to make it a little easier on the working class. Uh, are, are results of uh, that can be protected by the vote if we have the right people in in, in place. But you know, but in terms of the actual quantitatively changing, going from capitalism to some kind of socialist society or anything along those lines, it's not going to happen through the vote. And uh, that's just the bottom line. Uh, the, the ruling class has two entrenched into this government government political economy and they, and they there is no reform that can untrench them. And so it takes a a, a whole uh rehauling uh, of the government, a revolution to change the situation here in America. Thank you. You know, panelists, in terms of making your final remarks for tonight I think the issue we want to highlight tonight is that there seems to be a outwardly verbal expression by words, expression by policies, expression by just human general human behavior that those in power not only do they seek to rule, but they coming out openly saying their rules gonna be their own rule. So in terms of trying to formulate a way forward Understanding that you're dealing with this is what what you're dealing with. What do you say to the people in the year 2018 that this is our reality and how should we deal with this whole question? Those who have the power, they say they're going to rule. Sister Hattie? Well, I think they can rule up to a point, but we still have to have our own personal power each one of us. And so we have to handle our business in a way that is going to still help us to become uh, more and more independent of these plugged-in systems that we find ourselves in. And so it is always the struggle. It is a war that goes on. So I think we still have to do what we have to do, which is to educate ourselves and educate others about the true realities of where we find ourselves at. So that that's what I say. We, we manage ourselves by doing as best we can to become independent of these situations. There are ways. Okay, Brother Moses. So I seem to be saying to us, we have the power, we're going to rule, so what? So what do you say to people? to the people today in the year 2018? 
Get organized. Get organized. Get organized. Join an organization that's fighting for the liberation of our people and educate ourselves and and uh, prepare for revolution. Um, this, this is the bottom line. And meanwhile, you know, in the day-to-day struggles, we have to do 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 the best we can under the circumstances. Uh, 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 we can't be like ostriches sticking our head in the ground and thinking that we're hiding from. But because this, this world situation is, is affects all of our lives and, it's, and we are all affected by it, and we are we're in this situation and we got to deal with it, deal with it, and speak truth to power and deal with it. Thank you. Thank you, Brother Moses. Brother Haki, your response. We are the power we rule. What do you say to the people in the year 2018? This is I think the first thing we have to do something similar to it in France. Uh, we have to get their attention. That's first and foremost. Then we have to have the organization. We have to. We can't simply stop with the mass mobilization. We need organization. And then we have to work hard uh, across the board, anywhere from electing people who are revolutionary uh, uh, to um, uh, create institutions to ensure uh, that your children have a, a proper understanding of the world in which they live in. So I think all those things have to happen in order for change to come to fruition. So it's not going to be easy to struggle. Uh, it takes dedication. And I think one of the things that one of the problems is going to be the role of propaganda and how do we how do we disarm uh, the propagandists? Uh, they got such power, and everything you hear is is calculated. Uh, it's absolute control. It's all corporate news. And so, therefore, the question is, how do we overcome that? The only way we can't conceivably overcome that is through organization. Well, like I say, it, it, it's going to take a commitment. Thank you, Brother Aki. And Brother Anthony, your final response to the reality that those who are in power those today who are in power saying they are in power and they're going to rule. So what do you say to the people in the year 2018 as you confront this reality? Uh, well, I, well, one thing I'll, uh, I'll definitely say is it's going to take more than voting, contrary to the propaganda machine. It's going to take more. It's going to take very hard political struggle. And that starts as, um, you know, everybody else has reiterated, organization. We have to get organized as a people, and we have to be prepared for a very hard political struggle. And we have to politically educate our children. The time has passed when we can trust uh, other people to educate our youth. We can't. History has shown that. And uh, we have to, uh, you know, form our own political organization that's working for, our, uh, for the liberation of our people. And we have to teach the lessons of our struggle to what to the generations behind us. And uh, one, uh, one solution is Pan-Africanism. And people can find out more about it by visiting our website, www.a-aprp-gc.org. We'd like to thank all our panelists. We'd like to thank our listening audience. We'd like to thank our supporters 
who listen to this program on a weekly basis and share their feedback with us. For those who have heard the show for the first time, we'd like to hear your criticism and we'd like to have your input on the various programs in terms of how we can best serve you and our community. And you can do this by emailing us at AfricaOnTheMove2 at gmail.com. Today's program gears towards trying to make you realize the objective realities that we are dealing with today is the reality that you have those in power who feel like they are given the right to rule and govern as they see fit. This is what you are confronted with. It has manifested itself in various forms and ways, but regardless, this is what we are dealing with. The question for today is, how would you respond to it? Until next time, continue to listen to Africa on the Move every Sunday from 7 to 9 p.m. Eastern Standard Time, U.S., and we will leave you with this message from the Obama Nation. This has been Africa on the Move. Up. That's his real name, Loki. Loki is not his real name, surprisingly enough. I'm all about peace and an important line there. I'm all about peace and love. Yeah. Okay. They're calling him a terrorist. Him a terrorist. Okay. One nation in the world has over a thousand military bases. Can you guess who? It's. Um, uh, let me give you a hint. Cutter. It is not Luxembourg. It's not just Muslims that have, that oppose your imperialism. He's going to tell you who it is. Lumumba was democracy, Mosaddegh, Allende. There you go. Okay, so so this is the rapper, all right? That's mm-hmm. his music. Bust a beat for me, right? All right, sure.
Obama, the bomber getting ready for Syria. First black president, the masses were hungry, but the same president just bombed an African country like. The Jonas Brothers are here. They're out there somewhere. Sasha and Malia are huge fans. But uh, boys don't get any ideas. I have two words for you. Predator drones. You will never see it coming. You think I'm joking? Wow! 